0: Now I want us to pray together before we open our Bibles because we're going to cover a lot of ground in Scripture. We're going to move really fast. We're going to spend some time on the surface of the passages that we're looking at and then we're going to go deep. And then we're going to come back up to the surface and then we're going to go deep again. And we're all going to have to be dialed in as we make our way through this. So I want us to ask the Lord to lead the way. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, this morning as we open our Bibles, We're going to look at something that literally could change our lives. Lord, it's just a truth that You have tucked away in Scripture and it is wrapped up in relationship with You. And I am so very grateful for those things. As we're getting into this today, though, we're going to be moving really fast and we're going to look at a lot of things. So we need You to help us. We need Your Spirit to go ahead of us that You might open our eyes so that we can see truth that You might open our ears so that we can hear truth, and that You might open our hearts so that we can live truth. And I'm asking that You do all those things for us. Father, in the process, I'm asking that You make me a communicator of, of spiritual depth, and I'm asking that You make us all listeners. And I'm doing so with great faith, and in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open your Bibles to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, we're going to be looking ostensibly at one verse, but it's going to require us to look at a lot of other verses leading up to it. And like I said, we are going to be moving at warp speed through this, so you're going to have to hold on as we do so. But hopefully, as we make our way through, you'll be looking intently at what we're talking about. This one verse, when we embrace it, it will change our lives. When we understand it, it is transformational. If we ignore it, it will bring confusion into our hearts and our minds. And if we try to explain it away, it will invite anger into our spiritual life. That is how important this one verse is. You cannot walk with Jesus, and certainly you cannot walk very far with Him, without being confronted by the truth of the verse that we are about to look at. It's found in the last part of John chapter 16. Now as you're turning there and you're getting your eyes ready to focus on it, let me tell you why it is so important. There are two types of people in the world. Ostensibly just two types of people in the world. Those that have been overcome and those that are overcomers. Those that have been overcome have been overcome by the things of the world. The logic, the teaching, the philosophies of the world. Those that are overcomers have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And they have overcome the world as a result of it. Because of that truth, just that truth, I encourage Christians to memorize this verse of Scripture. If there is no other verse that you ever commit to memory, you commit this one. You make sure that you hold on to it. You keep it close to your heart and close to the vest because you will need the truth of it at some point in your walk with the Lord. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. John chapter 16, verse 33. Just listen. I have said these things to you. These are Jesus' words. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that great? Listen one more time. I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is so important, so significant, that we are going to spend the next four weeks leading up to Easter unpacking this one verse. I don't know that I have ever set up housekeeping with one verse for four weeks. I don't know that I've ever said that's where we're going to concentrate our attention so focused and so directly that it takes four weeks to unpack one verse. But that's what we're going to do with this one. Starting today. And in order to begin this process, all we have to do is look at the very first sentence in verse 33. Here it is again. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. There is a question that is begged very quickly in this verse. When Jesus says, I have said these things to you, we have to wonder what things he's talking about. That would be a huge mistake to just go back one verse or two verses and believe that that's what he is referencing when he says, I have said these things to you. We actually have to go back two chapters in order to understand the depth of that teaching. I have said these things to you. Two chapters full of teaching. Two chapters right out of the mouth of Jesus, overflowing from the heart of Jesus. That's what he's saying, I have said to you. I have said that much to you, so that in me you may have peace. Let's take a look at what he's saying. Turn back with me to chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now we've got to set the stage for you to understand exactly where he is saying this and why he is saying this. These are the words that He shared with the twelve apostles in the upper room right before they would take the Last Supper, right before they would take communion for the very first time. This is just hours before Jesus will be arrested, only a few hours before He will be tried, convicted, and crucified. All of this is happening on a truncated timetable. So he has the 12 apostles, his 12 good friends, in the upper room of a friend's house where they are sharing all kinds of things, not the least of which is the Passover meal that will be culminated in the Lord's Supper. It will be culminated in communion. But Jesus had some things that he needed to share with them, and this is it. It's recorded right here. If you have ever wondered what all was happening in the upper room, well, this is it. John tells us he was there. This is an eyewitness account, and he records Jesus' words for us. Wouldn't that be amazing? In just a few moments, Jim Ray is going to come up here, and he will lead us in communion. Every week, we have different guys that come and share communion meditations with us, and they are all really, really good. They are their thoughts as we approach the Lord's Supper. But in this particular case, it's Jesus who's sharing these thoughts. It is Jesus who is opening His heart and His mind to say, now as you get ready to hold the bread and the wine, as you get ready to hold My body and My blood, here's what I want you to think about. And look how it all begins. This is chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. That is not the only time in this discourse that we will hear Jesus say things like that. That's not the only time in chapter 14 that we will hear Him say something like that. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In John chapter 16, verse 33, just like John 14, 27, we hear Jesus talk about a peace that He is leaving with His apostles. And we're going to talk about that peace at the end of the message. It is really remarkable. It is very dramatic, and it may even be different than what you imagine it to be. But before we get to that, we'll just set that whole idea aside. Look at what Jesus says to them at first. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Now, why would he say that twice? Why would that be so important in the Lord's communion meditation to make sure that he starts out by helping them understand that they need to not let their hearts be overwhelmed or be troubled? Well, maybe it has to do with the fact that he is about to tell them that one of them, one of the twelve, will betray him. Maybe it's because he's about to tell Peter that Peter will deny him. And maybe, just maybe, that the reason Jesus starts this way and emphatically says it the second time is because He is about to tell them something that is shocking. Absolutely shocking. After three years of walking with Him and talking with Him and having a close connection and fellowship, Jesus is about to tell them, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be with you very long. I'm about to leave you. I'm about to be taken away from you. So let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in Me. You believe in what I'm saying because the time is coming and it is coming quickly when you will not see Me. When you will not be able to physically touch Me. Things are changing and they are changing rapidly. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Between verse 1 and verse 27, there's something else that happens though. Jesus blesses them with six promises. These six promises are going to sustain them through some of the most difficult times in their lives. So when Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled, you believe in me, he's saying, You believe in these promises, you hold on to these promises. You let them be the very thing that will carry you through the most difficult times of your life. You hold on to them. Here are the six promises of John chapter 14. We don't have enough time to go through them, so we'll put them up on the screen. Number one, you are going to heaven. In the first part of John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. When that place is ready, I'll come back and get you. I'm there. I'm getting your room ready. I'm getting your house built. And when the time is right, I will come for you. So that's promise number one. And that's one that we should all stand on the same way the apostles did. We are going to heaven. So no matter what happens in this life and on this earth, When it is all said and done, when it is all over, no matter what it looks like, we are going to heaven. Promise number two, you know the Father right now. There is a misnomer when it comes to eternity that we will only know God personally after this life is over and we are in heaven. Jesus is reminding them, you already know the Father. You already have a relationship with Him. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You already know the Father. You already have access to Him. You already have the opportunity to be with Him. which sets up promise number three, you have the privilege of prayer. Because of Jesus, we have the ability to talk to God. We have the ability to enter the throne room of God. For 40 days, we talked, right after the first of the year, for 40 days, we talked about prayer and all that it means, all that it promises, all that it holds for us. So in John chapter 14, right before they took communion for the first time, Jesus said, don't you forget this. You have the privilege of prayer. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't you let yourself be overwhelmed. You have the privilege of prayer. No matter what you face, you can talk to My Father about it. Number four. We have the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16 will all reference the Holy Spirit. In each one of those chapters, He will be mentioned. Now that is really quite unique for the apostles because they have yet to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that the Jewish people knew of the Spirit of the Lord was a temporary manifestation. The Spirit of the Lord would come to rest on people and the Spirit of the Lord would leave. Then the Spirit of the Lord would come to rest on people and then the Spirit of the Lord would leave. But Jesus is saying the time is coming when you will have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and He will never leave. I may not be with you, but this is God's provision. You're going to have the Spirit and you will have Him forever. We don't have enough time to go into everything that these three chapters say about the Holy Spirit. Maybe we'll come back after Easter and talk about that in our services or in Sunday school. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is a dramatic, wonderful, blessing-oriented gift. And so Jesus is reminding them of that. Between His ends of let not your hearts be troubled, He says you have the Holy Spirit. No matter what's happening, you have the Holy Spirit. So you remember that. Number five. We have the Father's love. We have the love of God poured out on us in such a way that it will never leave us or forsake us. We have the Father's love. You stand on it. Let not your hearts be troubled. You stand on the Father's love. And number six, we have the gift of peace. John chapter 14, 25 through 31. Here comes that whole idea of peace rising up again. But what a unique thing that is. And like I've already told you, We're going to come back to that at the end. I don't want you to make the mistake of believing that this peace is something that everybody has. I want you to see it for what it really is. It's very strange. It is very unique. It is very wonderful. These six promises exist in John chapter 14 and Jesus wanted them to know it. Before He gets into everything else, He wanted them to know this. Then in John chapter 15, he takes a decidedly interesting turn. Let me show you how it begins. This is John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now what a strange, strange thing for Jesus to say. At least to us, it doesn't really resonate with us. Unless you're Howard ranked and spent your entire career dealing with grapevines, this doesn't really make a lot of sense to us, but to the Jews living in Jerusalem during that time or even traveling to Jerusalem, this illustration, this metaphor makes perfect sense because on the outside of Herod's temple, there was a gold inlaid vine that they could all see. The vine made perfect sense to them. If they had studied the Old Testament, the vine made perfect sense to them. And now as we study the New Testament, it can make perfect sense to us if we will dig into it. Now here's what I mean by that. There are three vines mentioned in the Bible. The first one is in the Old Testament. We know it as the past vine. That is the nation of Israel. The 80th chapter of Psalms talks about Israel in terminology just like this. It is a vine. There was a time where God's favor was poured out on the nation of Israel, on the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Now that favor had been lifted by this point, although not really. It was still there. They had yet to reject Jesus. So his favor was still there, but it was diminishing. The past vine connected them to God. And then there is what's referred to as the future vine. This one is found in the book of Revelation, 14th chapter. The future vine deals with a failed world system. When that happens, Revelation 14 says that God's going to have to come in. He's going to have to do some pruning. And the people that have surrendered to the failed world system will be thrown into judgment. They will be cut from the vine and thrown into judgment. For those that have endured, those that have remained faithful they will be pruned as well. But they will enter into God's kingdom. They will enter into His rest. Now that's the future vine. But then John chapter 15 gives us this illustration of what we refer to in the the theological terms as the present vine. The present vine is the church. The present vine is God's design for people to be interconnected It is God's design for us to be able to use our giftedness. And so now in the upper room, Jesus is telling the apostles, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser and everybody is a branch. And either you are an active growing branch that gets pruned from time to time, which is not necessarily pleasant. Sometimes there's some cutting away that has to happen, but we accept that as children of God or you're a dead branch. You get cut off and thrown into the fires. That's what John 15 is teaching. That's some some tough teaching. And that's how Jesus starts the whole thing out. Now, once you put it all in perspective, it makes sense. And for the Jews that were there, it started to resonate a little bit. For the 12, they started to pick up what He was saying. But they weren't completely convinced yet. Then interestingly enough, there's a massive shift that comes right after that. Jesus has been sharing warm, encouraging thoughts with them. Love thoughts, if you will. They're captured just like this in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Listen to verse 17. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Now here's what Jesus is telling them. I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. And I have loved you the way the Father has loved me. So you can be connected to the Father in that type of a love relationship. Now give it away. Love other people the same way that I have loved you. Love has governed every part of the conversation up to this point. But in chapter 15, verse 18, there is a new wind blowing and it is different starts just like this, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Instead of using the word love, Jesus will start to use the word hate. Seven times from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, He will use the word hate. Seven times. Seven times Jesus will use the word hate. And He starts out by saying, the world's going to hate you because of me. But He turns it just a little bit when He says, but you're in good company. In that moment where you feel like the world hates you because of Me, know that it hated Me before it ever hated you. You're in good company. It is okay. You are in good company. That's what Jesus is telling them. Now isn't that tough teaching? He goes from love to hate so rapidly. But He only has a few moments to share with them everything that they need to know before he's gone, before he is arrested, before he is drugged off. So he wants them to know things are going to get tough. It's going to get pretty difficult, but you stay with me. Now look at how he starts chapter 16. He is about to explain why he has gone into this type of teaching. Verse 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor Me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is saying all of this tough teaching, all of this hard teaching, I've I've given it all to you because the time is coming when people are coming after you. It's going to get really hard. And I want you to stay with Me. I want you to remain faithful. Don't you leave me. That's why I said this to you. That's why we're having this conversation. Because life is not always going to be PG. Life is not always going to be easy. So you stay with me. Don't you leave. That's why I said these things to you. You stay with me. That's what Jesus was saying. Friends, I would be remiss as a preacher if I told you that there weren't going to be trials in your walk with Christ. As a Christian, I would be wrong if I told you that everything was going to be smooth sailing from this point forward because you're a Christian. As a person that has walked with the Lord for 40 years, if I told you that I haven't faced struggles and trials of my own, I would be lying to you. I can't do that. Nobody can. If anybody tells you that everything is going to be smooth and easy with Jesus, then you get away from them as fast as you can. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. Not at all. In fact, He's telling us exactly the opposite. There's going to come a time when things are going to be pretty difficult. But you have what you need. Do you remember those six promises? You have what you need. You stand firm. Don't you move. And in John chapter 16, He drives the point home by saying, I told you these things so that when all of that happens... When things get tough, when it gets difficult, when your world is crumbling, and maybe it's even crumbling because you have loved me, people hate you because of me. You stay with me. I've told you these things so that you don't fall away. Right after that, he will, in John chapter 16, start talking about the work of the Holy Spirit again. And again, we don't have time to get into that, but look at what he does down at the end. He says, Your sorrow, this is verse 16, your sorrow will turn into joy you're going to get to go to heaven. The trials of this world will be over. They'll be finished. And then you're not going to have to ask Me for anything. You're not going to have to pray because we're going to have all the connection that we need and it will be face to face. And Jesus actually says in John 16, you won't have to ask Me for anything because it's all going to be right in front of you and you're going to know everything and you're going to be fully known and it's going to be amazing. So you stay with Me because the grief of this world will turn to the joy of eternity. And how cool is that? That is an amazing promise. That is an amazing hope. One of the, boy, I struggle to find the right word, one of the joys of doing funeral services for Christians is that very thing. If they have been struggling through life and now those struggles are over, praise God. That's just done. They don't have to deal with it anymore because they are fully restored in the presence of God. And that's what Jesus was teaching here at the end. Your sorrow will turn to joy. I love the fact that He does. Then in John chapter 16, He brings it all together by saying, I have overcome the world. So you hang with me. Now that's what He meant when He said, I have told you these things. It wasn't just one or two verses. That's what He meant when He said, I have told you these things. And then something pretty interesting happens. This is chapter 16, verse 29. Look close with me. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Do you? Do you now believe? So here's what's happening. The disciples make this statement. Now we understand. Here in the upper room, as we're getting ready to take communion, as we have participated in the Passover meal with you, the Last Supper, and we're getting ready to have the Lord's Supper, now we understand. Everything is plain. Everything is clear. It was a statement of declaration. They were saying that our faith is solid. And Jesus said, is it? Do you understand now? Are you ready for what's coming next? Is it? Do you understand? I'm just questioning, do you understand? That's what Jesus was saying to him. Read that right. Do you understand? And if you want to know how to read that, all you have to do is look at verse 32. Look at what he says. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So he says, do you, do you get it? Do you understand? Because in just a few hours when things get really difficult, every one of you, every one of you will scatter. Every one of you will leave. Every one of you. But then Jesus gives this beautiful illustration. But even when you're gone, I will not be alone because the Father will not leave me. And he was reminding us that even when we feel alone, the Father is still with us. He has not left us. Even when things get difficult, God is still with us. So that's why Jesus flips the question back to him. Do you understand now? Really? Do you get it? It's a question that He might throw to every one of us and we would all do well to answer it. But first we have to ask it. Do we understand? And if we're at a place where we say, yes, I understand. I know what it means to be a believer. I know what it means to be a Christian. Then you're in a great place. But know that the trials will come quickly. They will come quickly. And they will come with a vengeance. So you have to be ready for them. And some people would say, how would we know if we're ready? How would we know if our faith is solid enough? Well, let me give you four things to help with that. Take a look at these. Number one, ask yourself if you believe Jesus in faith. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you believe Jesus solely based on Jesus? It has nothing to do with you or what you're trying to accomplish. You believe Jesus because of Jesus. Do you believe Him in faith? And if you can say yes, then ask yourself this. Number two, are you practicing the faith you believe? When the Lord reveals something to you, are you accepting it as coming from Him and then applying it? Are you applying what you have learned? Are you applying your faith to every aspect of your life? And really, that's question number two and question number three. Are you applying that faith in everything? Or are you just cherry-picking certain portions of what you have learned and been taught and applying those things? Or are you applying your faith in everything? Because if we're able to say in that separation type of statement, like the apostles, now we get it, it has to apply to every part of our life. Are you applying your faith in everything? And then, number four, can you rest assured in your faith that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you? That's the best one. Are you resting assured in your faith that you are a believer, that you are a Christian? That your faith is solid. That you are walking with God. If you are able to answer all four of those things, then this last one is easy for you. You can rest assured. It's all okay. When things get tough, I will stay the course. I will go the distance. I won't leave Him. I'll be there. Sometimes in order to do that, we have to reverse engineer these first four things by asking, am I resting assured in my faith? Am I applying everything that I have learned? Am I practicing the things that I have learned so that I can say I have trusted Jesus in faith? Work backwards through it so that you can answer those questions because at some point Jesus is going to say, do you? Do you believe now? Are you confident? Are you with me? That's going to happen. It's going to happen. So you have to be ready for it. But here's the deal. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Let's take the last two parts of that. They won't take nearly as long as the first part. He said, I have told you these things so that in me. That means in relationship. Again, this is a separation statement. This one is coming from Jesus. We are either in Christ or we are out of Christ. There's not any middle ground. You are either in Christ or out of Christ. It's really that simple. Remember, there are two types of people in the world. Those that are overcome and the overcomers. You are either in Christ or out of Christ. And Jesus says, If you are in Me, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. It's a relational idea and a relational statement. I am in relationship with Jesus. He isn't some distant foreign God. He is a personal God through the gift of the Holy Spirit living within me and I am in Him. In fact, let me just ask those of you that can say I am in Christ, would you say amen? I am in Christ. You know what it means. You've worked your way through those four things. I am resting assured in my faith. I am resting assured in my relationship with Him. I am in Christ. And if that's the case, then Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. That you may have peace. In the Hebrew language, and that's where I want us to end today with just a quick little Hebrew exploration. And I'm not a scholar in the Hebrew languages, not at all, but this one is pretty easy when you just get into it. In the Hebrew language, the word peace is shalom, shalom. And that is the word that is used here. I have said these things to you so that in me you may have shalom, peace. In the English language, we translate shalom solely as peace. And in the English language, peace means the absence of war or conflict. In the English language, that's all it means. The absence of war or conflict. But when we translate shalom to peace in the English language, we water down dramatically what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you these things so that in Me you may have shalom. In the Hebrew language, that means wholeness, completeness, health, security, and at times even prosperity. That's what it means. And in the Hebrew cultures, shalom is a greeting that is used when you approach somebody and when you leave somebody. The exact same word. So you walk up to somebody. I might be walking up to Dini and I would say, Shalom to Dini. Which really means, I hope for you wholeness, completeness, health, security and even prosperity. And we might stand and talk for a while and then when it's time for us to leave, we would say shalom to one another again. The exact same word. No hello no goodbye. Shalom on the beginning of the conversation and shalom at the end. And what we're saying again is as we are parting ways now, I wish for you wholeness, completeness, health, security and at times prosperity. And Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in Me you might have shalom. You might have wholeness, completeness, health, security, and even prosperity. And that's what Jesus was saying to us. He didn't say, I have told you these things so that in Me you may experience the absence of war or conflict. In fact, He said, we're going to experience those things. There's going to be battles, wars, conflicts, All kinds of trials within our life. But that does not have to affect the wholeness, completeness, health, security, and prosperity that He longs for us to have. We just have to stay the course that we might experience shalom. It's a strange type of peace and a very strange path unto it. But those that have experienced it know the joy of it. And there is great joy in the shalom of God. The peace of God. That's what Jesus was telling us He longed for us to have. I have said these things to you so that in me you might have shalom. That you might have that type of peace. Godly peace. Whole, complete, healthy, safe, and even prosperous. That's what Jesus wants for us. There are people that could look back at their life as Christians and say, I remember the point of surrender. I remember when that happened for me. I remember the point that I said, like the apostles did in verse 29 of chapter 16, now I get it. Now I understand. Those same people could tell you, I know the exact point when Jesus flipped the question back on me and said, do you? Do you really get it? And their faith was solid from that point forward. There is a difference between saying I remember the point where I believed and coming to this point where you could say I surrendered and I experienced the shalom of God. I experienced the peace that Jesus longed to bring into my life. I know shalom. Over the course of the next four weeks as we look at what it takes to discover that, as we unpack this one verse, and the others leading up to it, but really this one verse. I want to encourage you to tell me just parts of your story. Would you email me at philalspaugh at message me on Facebook, whatever the case might be. Tell me part of your stories. The moment where you experienced shalom, the moment where you were able to say, yeah, I got it, and I remember it. I remember when it happened. I remember when God flipped the nickel on me and He said, do you? Do you really have it? And I remember the trials that followed and I was able to stand on the rock. I would love nothing more than to share some of your stories, portions of your stories over the next four weeks. Whether we do that from the stage or whether we do that in writing, whatever it looks like, email me some of those. Message me some of those so that we can hear your stories too because the church, the vine is made up of people that have those stories, that have experienced the shalom of God. I will look forward to reading those and I will look forward to sharing them. So please, help me out. Help me preach over the next three weeks by sending those to me. And let other people hear what God has done for you. I want to invite you to stand with us now. We're going to offer our invitation. We always do this every week. We offer an invitation. It isn't ours, it's God's. If you are in relationship with God, but you're not sure that you've ever experienced the shalom of God and you are in terrible, terrible turmoil right now and you want to find that type of shalom, why don't you let us pray with you? There are a group of people that have experienced and lived it for a long time that would like to pray with you. Maybe you've never found your way into relationship with God. And maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Today could be the day that that all changes. Today could be the day of salvation. Why don't you let us talk with you and pray with you about that? Maybe you just have needs in your life that you need somebody to come alongside you. Well, we can do that also. All you have to do is respond to God's invitation. Go over to this door, my right, your left. Deanie will be there. He'll meet you. He'll pair you up with somebody that will help you through whatever it is that you are dealing with. You just respond to the invitation and let God do what God does. Pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, we go through these chapters in John's Gospel. and Man, it's inspiring. It's amazing to look at how much you shared and the moments that you had in that upper room. It's amazing the depth of teaching and the depth of conviction all at the same time. Father, the years that those words fell on for the most part, boy, they carried it out for all of us. And we're grateful grateful, Lord, that You offer us the same type of peace, a shalom peace. Would You help us embrace it by helping us long for it. And as we do, Father, would You show us again Your great love. And Lord, we're asking that You do that over and over and over again. And we will respond with ours. Praying now for the people that have never entered relationship with You. I'm praying that that changes. Praying for those right now that question their relationship with You. I'm praying that it grows. And I'm praying all of that with great faith. And in Jesus' name, Amen.